0: People can get too obsessed with the numbers, but we do have kind of a approach. These are the numbers that are important to us. Trial signups are important. Traffic is important. Churn is important. The number of new customers we do a day is important. Those are kind of the four main things. And as long as those numbers are kind of generally looked after and they're not completely disastrous,
1: we're all good. Welcome to Retention Talk. I'm Neil Desai, and we're talking to the best minds in the world of product and customer success to bring you actionable strategies on reducing churn and boosting retention. This week, we're talking to Adam Hempenstall, who is the CEO of Better Proposals. Today, we talk about how to combat overthinking on big decisions, how to experiment at a rapid pace, and pay close attention to Adam's answer on measuring success. Let's dive in. Adam, Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you being on Retention Talk and you know sharing some wisdom around how Better Proposals thinks about and, and drives retention. I'd love to give an audience a quick lowdown on who you are, what you do, and, and essentially what Better Proposals does.
0: No, so Better Proposals is a essentially a sort of an online document management service. So it takes the pain out of creating quotes and proposals for service businesses. And yeah, more so these days, SaaS businesses selling to enterprises and, and that kind of stuff. So it enables you to just sort of create really nice, really smart on-brand documents and then send them to your clients or potential clients, get them to sign it off, make payments, deposits, all that kind of wonderful stuff. And just generally creates a really nice workflow around your sales process.
1: Awesome. And it sounds like, Adam, you guys are going through an interesting phase where the team is growing, revenue is growing. How has your like, you know, role in the context of retention changed over time? I'm sure in the early days, you were onboarding every customer. And as the team grows, that changes. Like, how do you think about retention in the context of like, your role now?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think one of the things that's definitely made life easy for us is that we didn't onboard every new customer. We've been self-serve since day one. And it was really important that we did things like that because i think when you're manually onboarding people and this maybe is a little bit naive now because you don't have those sort of conversations where you learn little things but you know we looked at the metrics of everything and conversations don't have metrics if you're trying to deep dive into something a conversation is amazing but if you're trying to look at the stats of you know onboarding you know seven eight nine ten thousand you can't really do that with conversations. So we made the decision very, very early on that we were self-serve and we would be self-serve forever. In fact, we went so far the other way. I had to be convinced to hire a sales guy because we would have big companies come through and say, can we have a demo? I'm like, no, we've got a trial. Click the button. They're like, yeah, yeah. we're big. We don't do that. I'm like, well, don't buy from us then. Like, what do you want to do? I'm not going to stop what I'm doing in my day to show you everything that a demo would in five minutes. What's the point? And I, it took me ages to shift out of that mindset. And I haven't fully, to be honest. I'm still a bit like, you could just do a trial. But the amount of people that buy software without actually even having a trial, they do the entire thing through you know, a sales experience. We've sort of come at it backwards in a weird way because a lot of people, exactly like you said, do the sort of personal onboarding first and then shift into self-serve once they know what they're doing. We came at it from the other way. So we started by looking at how you know, our conversion rates and our activation rates and all that kind of jazz. And you know, we've sort of had to go a bit more manual instead of, sort of more automated. So it's kind of been a bit backwards for us. But in terms of my role, I mean, I just came up with ideas. That's really it, just ideas that I thought would improve some metric somewhere along the line, something in the funnel. Can we improve it? And you'd come up with a mad idea and you try and execute it as quick as you possibly could to get a proof of concept. And then if it worked, cool, roll it out. If it didn't, fine, go to sleep, wake up, come up with something else tomorrow. And I don't think my role has changed that much. I still do that. I just do it a lot less now because everything takes so much longer. Because, you know, you've got a team there and there's people that are in charge of things. I can't just go rogue and start designing stuff because we've got designers and they'll get pissed off if I do that. And they're better than me, probably the most important point. So you do have to start sharing things out. So we've definitely come at it from a bit of a weird angle, probably not super traditional. But I'd say my role has changed in the sense that it's definitely a lot slower. But it's still me coming up with... The bold ideas.
1: So a couple things to break down there, you know, you put a stake in the ground saying we're going to be self-serve. And I think today, at least in like the product-led growth world we live in, so many folks are on the other end of the spectrum, right? You hear about like the superhumans of the world that literally onboard every single customer. And to your point, that might mask real problems you guys have, right? Because- when you're having one-on-one conversations and you don't take a step back to look at the aggregate metrics of the funnel, you don't know what's working and what's not, right? I guess Mm. I'd love to know, like, what was the tipping point? What eventually got you to the point where you did add, you know, perhaps an inbound sales motion there for larger folks?
0: It was just the same thing happening again
1: and again. You just got enough big customers, yeah. It was just the same thing happening
0: again until everyone went, can you just stop being so stupid, please? If I look back at my business career, I think basically getting out of my own stupid way is generally my key to success really. We just used to get tons of demo requests come through every day and we never had a book a demo button. We only added that like six, seven months ago. And that was literally, they sent me away on holiday and then added it when I wasn't looking. Like that's how against it I kind of was. I'm like, no guys, like keep it self-serve, like not having any of this demo stuff. And yeah, so that's that's kind of our, our thing, but we used to get tons of it. And then in the end, our designer, who I've known for about 15, 16 years, in fact, the last job I ever had was an email marketing company. We both worked there and he was an account manager there. So he's got a lot of sort of sales experience and stuff. And he just, he just started doing demos by himself <laughs> in the end. He just sort of like, Oh, I won this person. I won that person. I'm like, how did you manage that? And what do you mean you won them? You designed things. He's like, yeah, I did a few demos and yeah, these guys are joining. I'm like, all right, okay. Or we do that now then, I guess. And now he's our sales director. So incredible. If anyone ever (laughs) says you can't give yourself a promotion, it's not true. You can.
1: That's great. So it seems like Adam, based on our conversation so far and just what I know about you guys, you guys are very, very meticulous about measuring a set of metrics, evangelizing that throughout the company and then running experiments to drive those, right? Mm. How do you shift, right? As the business grows, Obviously there is a dopamine hit every time you sign up new customers but how did you guys develop this culture around caring about retention because I know it's something you guys measure often and frequently how did you guys get to that point well i think in a lot of ways we sort of
0: didn't really know how to measure churn really and then when we started using profitwell it gave us a number and you know there's a million different ways you can calculate churn you only got to google that and you'll find out very quickly that there's a lot of different theories and a lot of different ways but I don't actually think it matters one little bit which one you use. I mean, simple example, I don't know how well ProfitWell caters for people coming back and reactivating. I wouldn't say that's a lost customer in our sense, because somebody's just decided they're not going to send proposals for three months. That doesn't mean we've really lost the customer. We haven't lost their loyalty. If someone said, what do you use to send proposals? They'd still say better proposals, even though they're not paying us. So I still see that person as a customer in theory, but ProfitWell doesn't recognize it like that but I don't care. I think that's the kind of the key point. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is there's a number there and our job is to try and get that number down. And we just come up with ideas and we test it. I think at some point, it probably doesn't fit the narrative of the conversation, but it's who I am, so I'm going with it. At some point, you just kind of accept your fate in a weird way. Like I know that with the kind of people that we sell to and the way that we've done it, the self-serve idea and sticking with that for so long and still being a massive part and not onboarding everybody and not having 20 different sales dudes and all that kind of stuff we are probably not really ever going to get to some sort of net negative churn that's the holy grail of SaaS. that's what everyone wants we probably won't ever do that we're so not that we can't get our business to do that probably i mean maybe we could but at some point you just kind of go, actually, do you know what, for the, all of the stress and grief and hassle and, you know, pressure that you're going to put your team under, is it really worth it to just move something 0.1% like materially, does it matter to me as an owner? You know, does it matter to our staff bonuses? Does any of that stuff actually matter? No. So let's not kill ourselves trying to move something one fraction of a percentile. I mean, what's there to gain by doing that? do the right thing, always try and get that number down. But don't super stress about it. Like it doesn't really matter. Like people can get too obsessed with the numbers. But we do have kind of a approach. These are the numbers that are important to us. Trial signups are important. Traffic is important. Churn is important. The number of new customers we do a day is important. Those are kind of the four main things. And as long as those numbers are kind of generally looked after, and they're not completely disastrous, we're all good. We kind of follow the base camp 37 Signals kind of approach to keeping it a little bit chill, but obviously you can't go too mad with it, otherwise people overtake you. So you've got to stay on it, but murdering yourself to try and improve something 0.1% is silly in my opinion.
1: Totally. I mean, I think you bring up an interesting point, right? Which is, look, first, metrics are relative and given the nature of your product, where it might be seasonal or cyclical, right, in in usage. Net negative churn might be beyond the scope of your product Mm. today. But at the same time, it sounds like you guys do have a culture of running experiments to drive the metrics you care about, right? Like, tell me more about that process, because it it sounds like, you know, you said you have a bunch of ideas, you guys test them, you iterate on them. Like, tactically, what does that look like? Is there just a running queue of experiments that the product team will try? Like, what does that really look like?
0: Well, mostly what we try and do is we try and do it really f***ing fast, that's the main thing. If it takes too long, it won't happen. And that's probably a really negative thing, but it's just sort of the way it is. So the way that we kind of do things is we often try and do little, I hate these terms, but almost like little kind of weekend projects, let's, let's call them. And that's kind of how we do it. So we break off into tiny little small teams. So there'll be sort of myself with a bit of a design background. My co-founder, Sabrina, who's the CTO of the company. She's obviously got a tech background. And Petra, our CMO. So the three of us, really good friends. And we'll often just sort of break away and just do something by ourselves over the weekend. Or it'd just be like a, you know, just kill everything for a few days and just do that. And it's amazing what you can get done when you don't have to ask someone's permission and you can just decide something there and then. It's insane how quick you can do things. And if there is a key to our success, if you want to call it that, it's the fact that there's probably been 40 or 50 moments If you like across our sort of you know six seven years whatever we've been doing this thing for where we've just made a really massive move really fast and just got it done super quick and it's never been perfect but it's been like a quantum leap change and lots of little things like that spread out over five six years start to make a real big difference so classic example one of our biggest ways of generating traffic to our site is through proposal templates. So we've got 200 plus proposal templates in our free marketplace. So if somebody's a web designer or an interior designer or an architect or something like that, Google architect proposal template, you'll probably find us. And then you go through that, takes you through a landing page showing you that proposal template. Then you click to try and edit it, and it gets you to sign up. Almost half of our traffic comes from that, maybe more. And We looked at that and thought, actually, for every single person that's typing in architect, interior design, web designer, furniture making, proposal template, they're probably also typing quote template. So usually, probably what you do is you get your SEO guy to go and do a ton of research as to what keywords to use and all that kind of jazz. We just went, fuck it. Let's just assume that for every person that's typing in proposal template or every two people that are typing that in, there's probably at least one person typing the same industry, but with quote template. It's the same content. It's the same template. So we just duplicated all 200 templates, 200 landing pages, created manual algorithm, if you like, that enabled us to not fall foul of duplicate content on our landing pages. And in three days, we had doubled the number of templates in our marketplace. Massive in three days. It took us five years to write 200 of them. And in three days, we doubled it. Time will tell if that's actually going to be successful or not, because we only did it a few months ago, but that's kind of an example of something, you know, we made a pricing change, which switches to a per user model that was massive. That again, we did that probably in 10 days for a bunch of legacy pricing. That's quite quick, at least I think so anyway.
1: It's definitely quick. Talking to a lot of companies working on pricing, revamping your pricing in 10 days is no joke. So I love Mm. the theme around moving quickly, right? Because I think time kills energy and momentum. And you just don't get to know what works as quick, right? So that's awesome.
0: You overthink it, especially with something like the pricing thing. We dilly-dallied about with that for about a year. And we didn't do it and didn't do it and didn't do it. And then at some point, I just woke up and went, bollocks to it. We're doing it this week. Literally just start like now. We know it's the right thing to do. We're just basically just being pussies. Let's just get on with it and let's just do it. And if it turns out to be a massive mistake, then we can always undo it and that's it. So we did that best decision we've made. Well, we'll be in the top five at least. Absolutely brilliant decision. It's made a massive difference. There was another similar thing as well. When somebody sent a proposal in our platform, well done, you've sent your proposal, some sort of success message. And on there, Underneath the success message was like this auto tweet block thing, and it probably was the oldest piece of code, like single piece of code in the entire platform. It had literally been the only thing that had not been changed, and it still just said like "click here to tweet." You just sent a proposal with better proposals, and I don't think anyone did it. And we're like, does that not seem like a really good time to tell someone about our premium plan, maybe, or maybe our annual plans or something, anything maybe? So we did that and mate, unbelievable how many people just instantly started upgrading. So we went from, I don't know, let's just say five, six people a day jumping from our smallest plan to our medium plan. And all of a sudden, we're like doubling that, tripling that. We're like, what the hell? It was almost painful. So I'm like, why didn't we do that sooner? Counting yeah. count in the private jets that you could have had lined up along the driveway.
1: So you move quickly and, and you guys obviously have a number of metrics you guys look at to see if you were successful, right? Because I think that's the key thing, which is moving fast only works if you're measuring the outcomes right and it sounds like you guys track these things pretty closely to see if you guys had you know the desired impact of whatever experiment you guys were running
0: we do use ProfitWell for a lot of stuff because it's quite a lot of effort to track metrics it really is especially to like produce your own out of a database or whatever i mean it's quite a lot of effort especially when you want to work on your product and everything else you know we intentionally have a small team it's like 16 17 of us or something like that and You know, it's a real big moment when we look for somebody else. So we try to not do stupid stuff like have somebody just constantly looking at internal systems. People do that. I think it's a waste of time and effort and energy. So if there's systems out there that will enable us to just pay a small monthly fee or, you know, obviously in in the profit world case it's free, to have a huge number of metrics that's tied to almost all the finances in the business and can show you a really simple picture of a lot of different things, that's massive. And what Profit World doesn't show us, God, it sounds like you've paid me, doesn't it, to say all this? I don't know, is really worth looking at. I mean, there's a couple of things here and there, but most of it is just like keep an eye on that stuff, keep that looking good, and generally life's gonna be okay.
1: Yeah, by the way, we did not pay Adam to say that. I always appreciate the love, Adam. I think the one thing that I always know about your team is like, you guys are very meticulous about the data, right? Which I think goes really, really nicely with the theme of moving quickly, experiment a bunch, like don't overthink it. And it probably makes for a good culture working at better proposals too, where, you know, like you said, you guys aren't stressing about 0.1 incremental improvements Mm -hmm. where you guys are going after these big ones.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think at the end of the day, you know, without sort of getting too weird about it, like life's a bit more important than work sometimes. And I think that if there's an industry out there that's guilty of overworking people and creating stressful environments, it's the tech world. And then you add a table tennis table to the office and say it's not stressful. It's like, yeah, but when you're putting, you know, ridiculous bonuses on hitting certain targets and metrics and all that stuff, and I, you know, I I do get it. But at the same time, it's like, can we do a bit better? Maybe like, can we not create this silly, stressful environment in the first place and just be a bit sort of more mature about it and just go, okay, cool, look, here's what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to achieve. Like we've got a stupid goal for our year and our team knows what it is and we're all working towards it. We know we're not going to hit it because it's literally borderline impossible, but we know what we're really aiming for, but we're still going to aim for the other thing anyway. And that's like a little bit of fun to us in a weird way. It's not to say that we don't work hard. It's not to say that we're not trying to always improve stuff. Of course we are. But the cost of what? You know, I guess what I'm trying to get across is like you pick your battles. Churn's really important. Your new customers, you've got to keep that coming in because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Stay on top of your SEO. Like those sorts of things for us are kind of the bread and butter. I don't know if that's, you have that saying in America. Yeah, yeah, we do. Oh, you do? Cool. We share something. But yeah, so like that's the bread and butter to us is just like keeping your basics together. And if you stay on top of that stuff, Everything else just kind
1: of auto-corrects, really, and just sorts itself out. Honestly, I think the biggest takeaway for me here is like really focus on the fundamentals. At the end of the day, it's about customers that truly love your product. Track your metrics and keep experimenting, right? And remember at the end of the day, not to overthink things. I think that makes for a really good culture of focusing on what matters and still having mm-hmm. fun.
0: Yeah, it's, it's important. At the end of the day, you've got to work with these people and you want to provide a nice place to work. As I suppose as my roles evolve, that's the kind of stuff I'm starting to be a little bit more interested in. It's like, okay, someone goes to bed on a Sunday night and are they sitting there thinking, oh God, I've got work in the morning. Or is it like, oh yes, cool, sweet. We're going to get to do that thing with that person who I really get on with and they're really clever and they have a load of cool ideas and we're going to you know, do this thing or that thing or whatever. So it's like just trying to encourage that and you know, obviously not everyone's going to love everything 100% of the time. That's obviously ridiculous. But you want to just try and sort of do that as much as possible. And and like you say, just, you know, keep your metrics in check, you know, try things, you know, business is supposed to be fun, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but that's why I got into this stuff. I thought this was a lot more fun than working somewhere else. In fact, that was the reason I handed my notice in my last ever job like 17 years ago, laying there thinking, oh, Shall I, or shan't I hand my nose in? And the key thought was, you know, what's gonna happen if I hammer my nose in? I don't know. That's a lot more interesting than yeah. knowing that I'm gonna be sitting here in six months time if I stay thinking exactly the same thing. So I might as well go and see what happens and just try to sort of, you know, create a cool place to work, have fun, get some cool customers in, make a great product.
1: That sounds great. I guess just to wrap, Adam, one thing that I'm always curious about and like to share with the audience is like looking back, right? You've been doing this for a number of years Mm -hmm. and, and clearly you guys have a culture that is thriving. What's like something you're really proud of overcoming? Could be a challenge, a struggle that you guys rallied around and overcame. We've not really had
0: like masses of real problems because, you know, if you think about like the way I've described our culture, You don't really have these sort of mad, stressful times. I think, honestly, the biggest thing that actually is probably now, actually. We've been working on a major update to our platform for what should have been seven weeks, eight weeks, and it's approaching seven or eight months. So it's been a good little lockdown project for everybody. It's definitely bordered on the stressy side of things, even though we've tried not to. It's been so big. It's been really, really difficult, and that's taught me a lot about deadlines really looking out for people and making sure that you don't overwork people even though you want something done and they want it done and everyone agrees that it's a good idea to keep working because what else have I got to do can't go anywhere everything's closed it's still like no man you've got to take a break there needs to be a structure here I know it's a good use of time to spend like the winter or this lockdown nonsense period or whatever to get a really big project done and then you can have a nice light chill summer makes total sense in theory but there's a limit to how much you can do and I've learned a lot you know through my own work ethic and founding team and a management team or whatever like we're all happy to just throw down and get some stuff done but people have different limits and as your team grows you realize that and When you've got your kind of your founding team and, you know, your big people, you've basically been there since day one, they will do anything for the business, but not everyone will. Sounds like I'm throwing my team under the bus. and I'm not. It's what I'm trying to get at. It's just really important to recognize that everyone's different. And I would say that's probably the biggest thing I've learned in a really, really, really long time is really just that you've got to try and treat everybody as an individual and look at their individual skills and, you know, their work ethic, their energy levels, that kind of stuff. It all matters. And when you have big projects with big important deadlines and major launches and all that kind of stuff, that is a crazy time for people. And some people are better equipped to deal with it than others are. And I love it. I love the stress of it. It's a stress because I know I can manage it and I sort of thrive on it and find it fun and it's exciting. It's something to do in a way. And I always try and at least put sort of two or three big moments like that in the year because I feed off of it, but not everyone does. Not everyone likes that kind of stress and pressure. So that's been a big learning for me this year. And it's been interesting seeing how different people have reacted to that. That's been a really interesting one. But, you know, like you say, I mean, everyone's sort of pulling together and and helping each other out. And that's been massive this year. It's It's been a real sort of coming together, I think. And being a remote team, you don't get those Friday night sort of beers down the pub sort of thing. That doesn't happen. Yep. So to have that as a remote team is is really cool.
1: That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. Same thing here. I think the past year has shown a lot of resilience and, and I think brought out to your point, right, how different everyone is and, and, and ultimately got to like band together to work through that. But
0: none of it's bad. I mean, different doesn't mean bad.
1: Different right. just No, means not different. at all. So I think, Adam, this was terrific. Again, really appreciate your time. How do people find you? How do people find Better Proposals if they're interested in learning more?
0: Betterproposals.com. Nice and straightforward. Genius, creative company name there. If you are thinking about naming your company, try to think more creatively than we did. Great for SEO. Terrible for branding. Yeah, betterproposals.com. You can find out a lot about us there. I don't really do much of branding, really, of myself. I do stuff like this every now and again. But yeah, I mean, everything I do is sort of tied to Better Proposals these days. So if you want to find out what I'm up to, that's where to do it.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, Adam. This uh, This was great. Appreciate the time. And it was fun learning more about how you guys work and what's up at Better Proposals these days.
0: No, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Big fans of your work. And yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: A huge shout out to Adam for dropping all of that knowledge. Let's recap. First, Adam talked about not overthinking things. Sometimes the simplest answer is the most effective one. Number two, better proposals has a culture and framework to experiment at a rapid pace. Don't underestimate the impact that that weekend hackathon can have on your retention. And lastly, nothing else matters if you don't measure success. Rally the team around a key set of metrics to make sure that you're monitoring the health of your business. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Retention Talk. Don't forget to subscribe at retentiontalk.com and if you want to help spread the word, tag me on Twitter, neildecide 23 and let's dish out today's episode. Please give us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice and let your friends know as well. And always, if you have any questions at all, send an email to profitwell.com. This has been a ProfitWell Recur production, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.